three, two, one. And welcome to a special edition coronavirus update for pets. Today we have with us Dr. Sarah Caddy, who is a virologist from Cambridge University in the United Kingdom, currently taking the time coming out of the lab. I know she's working due diligently right now with a whole bunch of other scientists. I know pet parents all around the world, Dr. Caddy, are, are pretty excited for this. And there's so many questions. And the media frenzy that's currently going on with headlines from different media outlets from different parts of the country. Don't touch your dog, touch your dog, stay away from your cat, don't go near your cat. It is a whirlwind of information and I realize things are constantly changing, but I'm just going to cut right to the chase and ask you, can our pets get coronavirus? I mean, very simply at the moment, we don't have all the details. Um, I think it's going to be reasonably unlikely um, and even if it's theoretically possible, the question is, well, is it is it relevant? Is it important to the animals or is it important to us? Um, and there's basically no evidence that it causes any disease in our pets, which is which is good news. That's really reassuring. Um, and in terms of spread animals spreading disease or the infection to us, again, there's no evidence that can happen either. Of course. What we're seeing today in the headlines is we know that the first dog who was contaminated at Hong Kong, that really made a lot of press. And, you know, we were seeing, hey, look, this was a weak case. There's still no evidence. There's no problems. Now, as of recently, we have the second dog. And we were hearing from virologists on the other side of the world who were saying, hey, this is now on the surface of animals. So where this may have not been a problem originally, you know, with healthy pets, if you have somebody at home currently um, with the disease or as a carrier, this could be a potentially a huge problem. I know there's places right now, headlines saying, hey, don't kiss your dog. Other headlines in the media said, go ahead and love your dog. This is really important. What is your take on all of this? Again, it's, it's not a straightforward answer. I think it will depend partly on the, the the owner and the potential vulnerabilities of the owner i think i think a probably a, a good analogy um for the dog is to think of your dog as, as kind of a towel in terms of whether it can carry a virus and we're not we're not worried about towels necessarily but we would be careful to to wash our hands after touching another a towel for example someone else has has touched um so Kissing your dog. I mean, there's lots of reasons, lots of other infections potentially vulnerable people could get from kissing their dog. But I think we really need to be aware of all the the great positive mental effects you can have from spending time with your dogs and patting your dogs and hugging your dogs. And I think those are really important right now. My my question is actually pertains to Rodney's situation where he's a immunologically healthy individual. He's got immunologically healthy dogs. There've been minimal to no exposure, but he goes to a dog park twice a day for several hours where he, his dogs and himself, they, he meets a variety of other animals and the dogs all say hi and play and all the people say hi. Probably at this point, Rodney, there's now a six foot distance between the people saying hi. But then Rodney comes home and his dogs go upstairs where there's a 95-year-old beautiful Lebanese grandma who doesn't leave the house um, even before corona outbreak. She just is an, an elderly woman who is healthy but 95. Could How nervous are you about that scenario where dogs could be, I don't want to say vectors, but they could be potentially carrying infectious environmental 
contaminants from place to place. Is that is that even a potential or am I really thinking too deep on that one? So again, if we use the analogy of the towel, um, it is possible that dogs, you know, could pick up the virus if they're sneezed upon or coughed upon. Um, and very close contact between dogs could, you know, theoretically transmit little tiny particles of virus to another animal. Now, at the moment, we we have no idea really how long the virus particles can survive on dogs' fur. Um, a study came out a couple of days ago in the New England Journal of Medicine that compared the survival of virus on a few different substances, um, but the substances they chose were copper, plastic, um, stainless steel and cardboard, and none of which is anything like dog's fur. Um, but of those four, I would say probably cardboard is most similar to a dog's fur. And the virus survived less than 24 hours. Um, so it was, it's it's very brief in that respect. But that's, that's a different situation from your dog coming into the house and going straight up to see an elderly relative. I think if it's possible to um, to avoid that happening, you know, even for an hour or two, that that's going to reduce the risk. Um, but as I said, we don't know how long the virus could survive in this very hypothetical situation. Um, and I think just make sure that if you're relatives are patting the dog then they wash their hands afterwards using soap and water as advised and that will kill any virus that they happen to come into contact with by patting the dogs so my first burning question in that response is hand sanitizers better than nothing but not as good as soap and water hand sanitizers um you know are, are they adequate not really what, what's your take on sanitizers so i think they definitely have their their, their benefits i think they're definitely useful um i mean the virus, coronavirus, has an envelope, um, which is something that is quite easily broken just by, you know, by hand sanitizers, by soap. Um, and so that's that's a kind of a good thing in terms of control. Um, as soon as the envelope's broken, then the virus isn't infectious anymore. Um, so whereas soap and water is going to help physically you know, get the, the virus off your hands, hopefully the hand sanitizer will just break the envelope and stop it being infectious. So um, certainly uh, in the absence of nothing, hand sanitizer is great. It's, it's very quick. It's very portable. So I think using, using that if you're out and about and worried, is, is a great idea. And what about uh, any protection for dogs or cats? This is a common question. Should should people be bathing their animals every day? Should they be using some type of topical misting agent? There's a lot of people doing weird hmm. things to their pets right now to try and disinfect them. Interesting. Bath. Okay. Um, so, but you know, giving your dog a bath would um, have a similar effect to washing your hands. But of course, um, there are some dogs that we practice for and some dogs that they won't um you know i myself have a 25 kilo collie cross and he he would not be happy with being bathed every day um so instead i'm going to make sure that i wash my hands very carefully after after i pat him if he's been in contact with other dogs um i don't have any knowledge of of, of special um you know, demisters or or things like that specifically for dogs but um i think 
again, practicing sensible hygiene around your dogs and, and giving a bath potentially. Well, if they're definitely in contact with someone with the virus or have been coughed on by someone with a the virus, then a bath is a sensible thing if that's possible for your animal. We're getting mixed signals from different parts of the world when it comes to having a family member or somebody that's actually infected with COVID-19. Uh, you know, you have some reports that say the animal must be quarantined. I know in, in on the other side of the world, in parts of Asia right now, there's 11 dogs and cats that have been quarantined immediately because, of course, they say they're finding um, these these traces of COVID on their fur. Do you think in this type of situation, what would be your recommendation for, let's say, you know, God forbid I myself get Corona um, and I have my pet who's with me every single day. What would you advise me to do? What should people who are listening to this, if they do in fact get infected, uh, some of the precautions they should, they should, should be taking with their pets? So at the moment, there's no evidence that you could, uh, make your dog ill from coronavirus by you know, bypassing it on if as i said it's still a big if whether dogs can actually be infected by the virus and even if we do go past all the big ifs and say yes they they can um the you know, the chance of you causing your dog to be ill is is extremely slim at the moment so i would say from that point of view please don't worry um in terms of whether you quarantine with your animal to prevent your animal from spreading to other people, then I guess that very much depends on individual situations. I mean, again, speaking from personal experience, I know that if I get really sick and I'm quarantined, I want my dog you know, around with me um, and I wouldn't um, be letting him go and meet lots of other random people or, or uh, other dogs um, for that quarantine period, just because he may be carrying tiny virus virus particles on his coat um, and it's sensible to keep that distance you know for that really vulnerable period where you know that you know you're personally shedding virus and do you think that this is just a sort of a a country by country situation like where you're in the united kingdom you know some of the headlines that you open up like in the washington post and the new york post relaying on what's happening like in hong kong and in china and situations like that these animals are being quarantined in like facilities they're not actually even being quarantined at home so are, do, do we do we see this coming to north america like do you think there will be there will be a potential where animals will have to be removed and put in facilities or this is just a country by country thing currently as far as I can tell at the moment, this is a country by country approach. Um, I think facilities for quarantining dogs are, are, are quite limited in my um, experience and certainly my knowledge in the UK. I just don't think it would be firstly logistically feasible. And, you know, as I said before, with this really strong human, human animal bond, many owners are, are going to be extremely reluctant to be separated from their pets, which I completely understand. Um, I think, again, um, thinking back to other scenarios, well, we know that children are extremely infectious, much, much more infectious than, than dogs, um, but there's absolutely no suggestion of, of quarantining children. So I think it's, it seems an extreme example, but um, uh, bearing that in mind, I don't think that um, in, you know, certain in the UK and in the US, that would be a route that we're going down separating dogs from owners. And one question just about the general barometer of people's fears versus lack of fears in some situations. 
What is your perception, Dr. Caddy, of the world's response? It, it feels a little divided to me, like there's a segment of pet parents saying everyone is overreacting for crying out loud. And then there's a segment of pet parents that, um, in fact, there's been reports about people, you know, dumping their dogs and cats off at animal shelters, which is devastating for our community. When, when you're watching people's responses, what are your thoughts? I mean, this certainly is a really serious and very unique situation. Obviously, we've never seen anything like this before. I think as a, a pet owner, um, I think there's absolutely no reason to be to be giving your pet up at this point. You know, first and foremost, um, for mental health reasons, they're going to be people you want, or animals you want to have by your side right now. Um, uh, you know, they're no more likely to spread the virus than something uh, that isn't cleaned properly in your house, quite honestly. Um, and so I don't see any reason that people should be panicking and, and getting rid of their animals um, at this point. In this, uh, and I can't see that changing any time in the future. Um, you know, as I said before, um, there is no evidence that the animals can give you the virus, which is, I imagine, the main reason that, that people would be abandoning their pets. Um, and there's no evidence that you can make your pet ill either. So, Dr. Kenny, talk a little bit about cats, because it's certainly in the media, it seems to be very dog-centric, and dogs have been tested. And maybe that's because dogs are out and about more than kitties that are prim primarily live their lives inside. But are is there the potential that kitties could host the virus or there's not been much research or where, where are kitties in the in the research area? So that's a really good question. As far as I know, there's been no research and no reports in cats at all. Um, but if we sort of apply the same principles to cats, then obviously they are furry creatures that may well um, be able to carry the small virus particles on their fur for very short periods of time. Again, if you cough on them and you know that that you're infected. Um, whether cats themselves can get infected, we, we have no, no idea at all. Um, again, I was, I'm going to say that it's unlikely um, and certainly there's no evidence that it can cause disease in the animals and even less evidence it's ever going to transmit back to us. But at the moment, it just, like, like you say, it doesn't seem to have featured in the media interest the same degree. And you're absolutely right that cats don't mix with other cats to anywhere near the same extent. Um, and in some ways, it's it's going to be easier to keep um, some cats indoors. Obviously, every cat's individual as well. Dr. Caddy, do you see for industry professionals right now, one of those big underlying questions for trainers, for doggy daycares, for groomers, people who are seeing um, more than normal, especially now, you know, I, I was reading online that, the, you know, you're seeing some of these facilities with like almost 75 to 100 dogs in them. Groomers are seeing, you know, dozens and dozens of animals coming in with the potential of the virus, let's say, being at its lowest or potentially, you know, that risk of that transfer being extremely low. Do you see there being a, a higher chance and would you have recommendations to those professionals that are seeing these sort of mass loads of dogs coming in through their door every single day? Um, so I would recommend that if you have an owner with a dog and the owner is self-isolating with you know, symptoms of coronavirus or confirmed coronavirus infection, 
I would advise that dog isn't getting groomed for that two-week isolation period or that dog isn't getting trained. I think it's sensible to keep that dog away if possible. Um, in terms of dogs with owners with no symptoms and no other contact issues, then I think the same rules applies a general hygiene. So um, obviously, if you're grooming that dog, well, then make sure that um, you carefully wash your hands afterwards. You know, don't touch your face if possible and, and certainly don't eat anything before you've washed your hands. Um, so it's just sensible standard hygiene precautions should be enough in that situation. Um, but yeah, as of yet, we we don't have any really clear understanding or evidence either way, I'm afraid. Is there any current research right now that you know that has gone underway where people are actually testing the fur of dogs and cats to see how potentially how long this could survive on their fur? So it's a good question. As far as I'm aware, there isn't research going on at the moment. I mean, as I said, it's uh, the virus is um, what we call a category three pathogen and now that means it's it's you know significant risk to human health so you can only study this virus in really quite special laboratory facilities um for example the university of cambridge only has a handful of these laboratories so at the moment those laboratories are completely dedicated to every single um aspect of the human side of this um of this pandemic. Um, but I hope moving forward, those are, you know, those are questions that do need to be answered, but at the moment, the priority is, has to be for the human health. And Dr. Ketty, does this virus, I've heard that this virus prefers cooler temperatures and that um, warmer temperatures, I think that what I have heard, or at least seen online, is that 50, I think 55 or six degrees Celsius, 155 degrees Fahrenheit, the virus doesn't survive. What about taking, what about going outside and being in direct sunlight? Is there any benefit to, if you're capable of continuing social isolation, but taking your dog for a walk and getting fresh air in a warm environment, is that is that wise or potentially just good common sense or you don't think would do a darn thing? <laughs> um, so to be honest, uh, there doesn't seem to be very strong evidence that um walking your dog or putting the virus in, in slightly warmer temperatures is going to have a real effect, to be honest with you. Um, but having said that, I think absolutely keep your dog going for dog walks, if at all possible. Um, I think that's going to be essential over the next coming weeks, few months. Um, I think getting outdoors is going to be valuable for lots of other reasons. Um, but in terms of um, killing the virus, I, I don't think that's going to have a big impact. And do you, there's a, another kind of urban legend floating around out there. And as you mentioned, there, there's been no research, so it's impossible to tell. But because hair and skin, skin is quite porous and hair has the potential to absorb things. The flip side to this is some people are saying, listen, dogs and cats are little sponges. And it could be that they're not, their bodies are not physically capable of hosting this virus, like a doorknob or solid surface copper or stainless steel, because they are absorbent. In is there any chance that more absorbent surfaces are less hospitable to viruses? So I'm afraid I, I haven't um, any idea where to start with that question. Um, yes, again, it's just the studies haven't been done. Um, you know, you could kind of argue either way, to be honest, at the moment. Um, I think it's a different question we're talking about, you know, nice, humid dog's mouth, um, as opposed to just on the tips of their fur, you know, in terms of virus survival. But 
again, we we have to wait to get those answers. So, so Dr. Kenny, what are your, because we don't know about the porosity of fur and skin and hair and how hospitable or not hospitable an animal's body would be to hosting that virus. What about other surfaces around the home, like food and water bowls? Um, is that, is there any, other than daily disinfecting, any reason to be more concerned about sharing water bowls or food bowls or not really? So I think it's, it's a really good plan to to, yeah, to be perhaps more routinely cleaning your your pets uh, food and water bowls um again i think the virus to survive a human's going to have to have coughed or or been extremely close to those um particular items um but it makes sense to just sort of step up the general hygiene levels in your home regardless i think that's probably a a good plan at this stage so this brings me to my most burning question and the one that i have been asked that i absolutely have no idea when we think about where this virus came from there's all of these different theories from you know wildlife trafficking or consuming wildlife where maybe there was some type of virus hopping between species how first of all what what is your is there any emerging theories as to where the virus came from and then my second question is is how easily with other viruses in your clinical experience how i i was taught at vet school 25 years ago that oftentimes viruses don't normally hop to all let's say all mammals that and so talk, talk to us a little bit about how that works in terms of uh, epidemiology okay so i guess there's a few questions in there um in terms of you know where where we think this virus first came from. I mean, you're right. It's still still a puzzle that epidemiologists are trying to work out. I know there's various animal species have been suggested. Various bats have been implicated a number of occasions, um, and we just don't know whether this virus at the moment has been around for a long, long time in that in a different species, and it's just the the moment for that species to meet humans has recently occurred, or whether it's a completely new virus that actually has only been in existence for a short period. So that's still to be worked out as far as I'm aware at the moment. Um, but you, what you mentioned about viruses not readily transmitting between different animals, well, it very much depends on what the virus is. So there are, we know there are some viruses that happily infect all kinds of animals. So rabies is your classic example of that. Um, but most viruses are pretty host specific, which means they only infect one species. And they may occasionally affect another animal. So we often call those events spillover events. But we know that transmission is most effective in the, the, the main host species. So in this example, I guess human coronavirus, it's, you know, it's infecting humans extremely effectively. And even if it can spill over into dogs, um, that's clearly going to be a rare occasion. And uh, transmission between dogs at the moment, just there's no evidence or no possibility that could happen. Um, and we know viruses, again, can mutate quite well, quite readily, we don't know exactly how fast this virus you know, potentially could change, but there's no evidence to say that it's going to rapidly become able to adapt to different species at the moment. I think that's very unlikely. Um, so hopefully that's that's some reassurance for you. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are saying, you know, the focus has been on dogs, but what, you know, I have pet birds and I have chinchillas and I have rabbits and I have 
other animals in the home that people are really concerned about. So I do think that that provides a level of insurance, which, um, or at least recognizing that it would take time for virus to spill over to hop to other species that that's comforting, I think, to a lot of pet parents. Dr. Kenny, would you have any recommendations for pet parents? And I know the University of, of Pennsylvania, the vet med school over there, was saying that people should be stocking up on pet food or um, having a lot of medication around because if for some reason they're hauled off to the hospital from their home and their pets are home by themselves, there could be a whole bunch of potential issues there. I know I was reading horrible articles in, in Asia where, you know, poor pet owners were pulled out of their homes and being quarantined in places and had no way to get back to their pets. And it's sort of, they were trapped at home. Are these thoughts, do these go through your head? And like, do you think you would have any advice for pet parents on how to prepare or how you're preparing at home if, God forbid, you're off to the hospital? No, I think these are definitely things to think about ahead of time. I think, you know, we, we have warnings now that this, this virus, you know, it is going to escalate in the US and the UK. So now is the time to think about this carefully. You think about if you're ill, if your partner's ill, your family's ill, you know, where will your animal go? I think it's really important to drop sort of provisional plans um, in that situation. Um, I guess a lot of us are hoping that the virus isn't isn't going to be that severe for us personally and that we won't require hospitalisation and that our dogs, in fact, um, our pets will be able to stay at home with us and we'll be able to care for them. Um, certainly in the UK, um, all vets are trying to stay open. There's some staffing issues, of course, but all vets are still offering 24-7 care. Um, and I know uh, there's many, many people out there who would be willing to, to volunteer to look after your pets if you were to be hospitalised for whatever reason. So it's a really good plan to sort of get, get that support network uh, lined up ahead of time just in case um, the worst happens. So you figure out who you would like to be looking after animal. Um, in terms of stockpiling veterinary medications, I, I think um, it's best not to do that if at all possible. So we keep the supply chains going for, the, for all the animals that do need it. Um, Again, it's, at the moment, there's no evidence that um, there's going to be a, su a sudden lack of medications. And as I said, most vet practices are, are, are doing their absolute utmost to uh, to stay open and to be able to offer care you know, no matter what time of day or night. And Dr. Caddy, for people who uh, have high-risk jobs, I would call your job quite high-risk. <laughs> You're working with live virus. <laughs> And you are going to and from work every day. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to, to not self-quarantine. Thank you for continuing to get all of us answers, which we desperately want to need. Thank you. But as you are in a higher risk environment, of course, let's say that your dog had profound separation anxiety and you had previously relied on a beautiful doggy daycare where you would drop your dog off in the morning, go to work maybe see a variety of people in a potentially higher risk environment and then pick your dog up. At this point, if you are asymptomatic and you are still feeling fine and your dog is healthy, do, would you still feel okay participating in the doggy daycare scenario right now um, where your dog would be with other dogs that are healthy with also healthy humans serving the communities right now in this during this epidemic? So I've been thinking about this and actually probably the best way to answer it is to 
look in terms of children um you know what what are you doing with your children or or people you know doing with children and i have a daughter and she is still going to nursery um at the moment you know even though um, there is a risk i know of, of contracting a virus I'm, I'm in and out of the hospital every day um uh it's a risk that i'm perceiving you know, is a necessary risk for myself and my family. Obviously, the moment any of us develops any clinical symptoms, all of that will stop immediately and we will be self-isolating. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of the risk to my to a to a dog in that situation, it's going to be significantly less than than a child. Um but of course, you know, these times are changing very, very quickly. Um and it, it may be that in a couple of weeks, the, the advice will be different. When you are out and about, Dr. Ketty, or do you wear gloves and masks or no? When you're, when you're grocery shopping right now, or what, what precautions are you taking, if any, when you are out and about grocery shopping? Are you doing common sense things or what's your recommendation? So, so I'm not wearing gloves or a face mask out about. I'm, I'm trying to limit my out and about, essentially. Um, you know, going to the grocery shop maybe once a week, early in the morning as quickly as possible was kind of kind of the approach I'm taking and I I've, I've cancelled sort of meeting with friends and family and it's basically from home to work and back again um you know which I'm hoping is going to be only for short duration um but again my you know my dog and my cat make make things a lot easier around the house and I'm getting out and um being outdoors with them which you know really sort of is important to what my mental health yeah and the the pictures you see of um, dogs in full hazmat, <laughs> um, I think incredibly stressful for those animals. They can't. Um, Rodney, you were saying that when you when you took the picture of Cooper, just for the when you just put the mask on Cooper, he really had almost a panic attack. He it didn't. Animals are not trained to to wear face masks, and that seems yeah. quite extreme. I mean, I, I think I was sending you pictures of. Um... Uh, it's on my cell phone right now, but of, of cats right now um, overseas, right? I, this is, um, so cats and dogs right now all over the world, people are putting face masks on them. Okay, so first and foremost, nobody um, should be afraid of their pets. And especially if you're sort of in a healthy situation, you don't need to take your, you know, uh, there's those rare cases of people, and I'm not sure how much of they would even be qualified as people, in, in my opinion, that would be leaving their pets out in the streets. I don't even, I, as far in my brain, those are a rarity and maybe, you know, I hopefully karma comes back to those people, but to the, to the general pet loving public, you shouldn't have any fears with your pet, especially if you're healthy, you can, it's okay to kiss your dog and hug your dog, um, take your dog out for regular walks and so on and so forth. If you are infected, then of course, practicing hygiene, you don't have to potentially, um, there's no need to like send your pet off like somewhere else and to stay away from you for, for that duration of time, but to also be cautious. Cause in my household, for instance, if, uh, I have, I, I have, I've come from a Mediterranean background. I have my 95 year old grandmother who's on the, who's on the top floor and, and she like loves me to death. I love her to death. But I think if I, God forbid was infected, um, you know, I would stay away from it. I would do my, my best to sort of isolate myself. Uh, but I always had this thought of, okay, well, what about my dog? So if I'm loving and patting my dog, 
should I be letting my dog go up near my grandmother or should my dog be staying with me? Like, should I quarantine myself on a specific level? Um, I think, yeah, obviously you yourself separated from your, from your grandma, absolutely important in that situation is um, if she is not showing any clinical signs. Um, you know, one option would be to say, you don't see your dogs if they'd be better off with her for, you know, for her, for her well-being. Um, um, all the options for the dogs to stay with you. Um, but a sort of an intermediate option will be to say, well, make sure that your, your grandmother really washes her hands very carefully after giving the dogs a quick pat, um, you know, and, and, and just is aware that they're essentially potentially a dirty towel that's walked, you know, from one room to another. Um, so just being really sensible about hygiene in that respect. So, so then Dr. Kenny, I think what's most important, uh, you on that edge of, you know, all things new research, you're, you're literally on the front lines and things are changing every day. There's absolutely no, just as you would not abandon your children during this time, uh, there, there is absolutely no reason to be thinking about your dogs or pets of any type being um, infected or infectious, or the thought of rehoming your animal is totally, not only unnecessary, it's really kind of out of, it's, it's outlandish to be thinking about animals as being vectors or infectious models enough that we would ever consider getting rid of our pets. I think that that's people's biggest concern right now is what if discussion around coronavirus and pets leads to animal shelters being overrun with beautiful, well-loved animals with super panicked owners? No, I think the message I want to get across is that, yeah, there is absolutely no evidence that your animal can make you ill from coronavirus. And there's no evidence that you can make your animal physically ill from coronavirus. So please don't worry um, about this side of this pandemic. Um, I think our pets are going to be so valuable to us moving forwards and supporting us through, you know, some quite significant social distancing and isolation. And actually what I've been seeing on social media is that more people are actually adopting animals or, or getting animals over the next couple of weeks, couple of months. And I think that's great. I think that's actually a really positive thing to do. Um, and I hope that those animals are going to enjoy the next few months with their with their new owners being you know close at hand every day. Really good advice. And I agree with that. If you are at home and bored or or in and maybe don't want to permanently adopt an animal, you can certainly use your uh, self-isolation time for foster care. You could foster an animal at a shelter that, is, that needs a home for a few weeks or months, and that's a beautiful option. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your background. And we, we really are thankful that you, you had an incredibly busy month, I know, and I'm sure that you're just ramping up. Thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to share your knowledge with us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Dr. Sarah Caddy, thank you so much again. Everybody else who's watching in Facebook world, I hope that these, you know, these two incredible veterinarians that we had and and sharing all of this research put sort of those those fears at bay for you. And of course, if there's any updates, Dr. Sarah Caddy, if we could have you again on the show, that would be incredible. To everyone who's watching, thank you so much, and we'll see you again.